Well, good morning. My name is Thomas, and I'm the, the lead pastor here uh, at uh, Ambassador. I have the privilege of, of teaching this morning from Colossians uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 3 and 4. And that's where we are going to, uh, to pick things up. So if you have your, your Bibles with you, why don't you uh, open up. Uh, and we will uh, we'll read those verses uh, first to kind of get a, get a context of where we are and what we have uh, been, uh, been covering. Uh, Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, Paul writes, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, And Last week we looked at verses 1 and 2 in this chapter, Uh, and there were two big commands in verses 1 and 2 that we looked at last week, Uh, and the the two commands are are very similar, of of seek and to to set your minds uh, upon, Uh, the idea of what we are to, to desire within our hearts and what we are to think about with our minds are heavenly things, Uh, and most prominently, who is it that's in heaven? Christ. He's there seated at the right hand of God. And then uh, in the verses that, that we're going to look at today, uh, they begin with that word for. It says, for you have died. And, and, and what Paul is going to be doing, he's going to be giving reasons uh, and motivations for why they should obey those commands in verses 1 and 2. Why should they, they seek the things that are above? Well, because of the truths in verses 3 and 4. Uh, why should they set their minds upon? Why should they think about and meditate upon Christ rather than upon earthly things? Well, because of who they are in Christ. So we're going to see, as, as you look at that piece of paper that was just handed out, uh, what Paul is going to, to point to uh, is, the, in essence, uh, who they are in Christ. They have been united with him uh, in the past, in his death. They are united with him uh, in their present life. Uh, and they will be glorified with him in the future, this past, present, and future reality. But ultimately what Paul is pointing to is their, their union with Christ, uh, and he is pointing to their identity. Uh, and that's, that's really what these verses are, are about. Paul, Paul is telling them how they should think about themselves, uh, who, they, who they are. And that concept of, of human identity is probably the most controversial topic of our times, is it not? Especially here in our culture, uh, in, in the 2010s, uh, it's, it's so controversial, and it's of the utmost importance to our Christian faith. Uh, it is central to who we are. We are to identify ourselves first and foremost as those who have been united with Christ in faith. Last month, uh, the Associated Press uh, released the, the latest edition of their, of their style book, uh, which informs reporters and news organizations that are affiliated with uh, the Associated Press um, regarding how they're to go about reporting the news. Uh, and so 
this, this style book gives details about how they're to abbreviate uh, the names of states, how they're to, to write dates and addresses, what, how they should never use any acronyms, uh, what words they should capitalize, and which uh, words they should, uh, or when they should spell out numbers or use the numerals. All of these little details that come into how they are to report the news. But, but there were some, some other things that were addressed uh, in this style book as well. Uh, and uh, last month, the, the, then when that style book came out, there was also a little, uh, I guess, a live Twitter conversation uh, because the, the, the style book also addressed how news organizations should report uh, the <coughs> transgender transitions. Uh, and so this is what the, the Associated Press said, that uh, how news organizations should report on transgender individuals. It says that they should call people transgender only if relevant, and they should give the name that they use publicly, avoid references to being born a boy or a girl. That was said on Twitter. And, and the Wire Agency then urged writers to avoid uh, transgendered or transsexual uh, terms. It says, don't call someone a transgender. Trans is okay uh, on a second reference and in headlines. Uh, and then uh, on another uh, tweet or describing things on, in the style book, it says, uh, for those describing transitions from one gender to another, it says, for medical procedures often but not always used for a transition, uh, they should say that sex reassignment or gender confirmation. Uh, and, and in an article on uh, this, this new style book, uh, author uh, Sarab Amari, which he was, who's not a Christian, not a, not a believer, but uh, said this, so in, instead of using the expressions of, of sex change or transition, writers are to use gender confirmation, now, which is a very uh, biased language. And, and the author writes this, you needn't agree with social conservatives on transgender ideology to see that this is wrong-headed. The editors are using the AP's style authority to declare the transgender debate over. News articles on the transgender question, still the subject of heated scientific and political debate will now reflect the assumptions and ideological preferences of one side. Given the ongoing debate, AP's move can't but appear as an effort to delegitimize the other side, which includes not just Orthodox Christians, but also secular psychologists, social scientists, and many others. So, so that, that just came out. And, uh, and see, the, the Associated Press understands the power of language. Uh, and the power of words, uh, and by by using certain words when they write and speak and and report about certain topics, they they know that they can influence the way our society thinks. They they know that they can gradually shift the thinking in one direction, uh, and they they want to use words that are I guess preloaded with with worldview assumptions. Uh, that that if we begin to use those terms, we are also uh, embracing certain underlying principles and truths that those words assume. Uh, and now it's it's obvious to see, uh, I guess the the bias in, in what I just read of changing from from gender uh, or a, you know a gender change to gender confirmation. Uh, they're they're assuming that something is right uh, rather than uh, beginning to to have a discussion about it. But but there are other words and terminology that are that are loaded with worldview implications that I think that we have uh, just begun to use and kind of kind of swallow hook, line, and sinker without thinking critically of these terms. Uh, in 
in uh, a uh, or a queer theorist and author named Hannah Blank uh, wrote wrote a book entitled uh, Straight: uh, The Surprisingly Short History of, of Heterosexuality, in which she she says that these terms of, of heterosexual and homosexual are are things that have been newly created. Uh, that they are, uh, they're not words that have been in existence for all time, but they actually uh, came into existence about 150 years ago. Uh, and she, she writes this, so these, these terms came to exist because a need was perceived to identify people as representatives of generic types distinguished on the basis of their tendencies to behave sexually in particular ways. Uh, but what we have to ask, what was that perceived need? Why would you... How would you feel a need to change how uh, people are, are referred or what kind of categories we identify people? Why would you, why would you want to come up with a new category? Uh, and in essence, uh, another theologian agrees with her on this, of saying uh, it's a very, very interesting article written in 2014. Uh, theologian Michael Hannon, uh, the article is entitled Against Heterosexuality, easy for me to say. Uh, in which he traces the history of, of heterosexual and homosexual as terms. Uh, and he essence says that, that the, the term was uh, created in the 1860s, and, and it was created uh, to replace another term uh, of, of sodomy. And, and the reality of when, when these terms began to be used, they were, they were changing something from being an action referred to to a, a demographic or uh, an identity to to to, a, to describe a a person, uh, and all of this came about because 19th century Europe was in very similar situation to what our country is currently doing. Uh, of we are in our country, we are trying to do our best to get God out of every area of life, uh, and that's that's what Europe was doing 150 years ago. Uh, and uh, if you're going to completely change how, how the world sees and understands reality. If you're going to shift from a morality based upon the Bible to a morality based upon social science or psychology, uh, you're going to have to change the, the words that you use. Uh, and that, that is exactly what they wanted to do, of begin to, to lay a new foundation uh, for our identity. Uh, and uh, this, uh, this author, Michael Hannon, says that by emphasizing these terms, society came t- uh, to accept the worldview assumptions behind these terms, uh, namely that psychiatric definitions and not God's created order are the foundations of our identity. Uh, and that's, that's who we are. There's, there's two biblical counselors uh, and Christians who have written a, a phenomenal book, and in that, in that book they, they argue against that kind of identifying yourself based upon uh, psychological categories, and they say, for these reasons, same-sex orientation as an identity category is problematic. From a Christian perspective, it invites us to embrace fictional identities that go directly against God's revealed purposes for his creation. It invites us to define ourselves and the meaning of our lives according to the sum total of our fallen sexual attractions. Uh, and see that, and that quote emphasizes the importance of what, what's at stake when we're talking about identity. So when we're talking about identity, you're talking about what fundamentally defines you. Right? We're talking about what, what people are, what you think is most important about you and what is most important about life. But when you, when you touch on identity, you're saying this is the meaning of life. This is why I exist 
and what I exist to do and what I exist for. Uh, and, and when people adopt, if you, if you adopt a false identity category, uh, you're going to automatically begin to uh, believe all of the assumptions that come with that. Uh, and, and the world today is, is preaching a theology, a system of belief in which a person's desires define who they are. And, and in saying that those desires define who you are, and that's where your identity is to be found, they're saying this is what's most important. That this is, this is where life finds its meaning. Uh, and and as, a, as a Christian and as someone who's read the Bible, we just have to say, no, that, that's not. We've, uh, we can't be taken uh, captive by philosophy. And Paul, Paul issued that warning in Colossians 2.8, uh, not too much earlier, of just saying, don't be, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. This is where we have a responsibility as Christians to, to begin to think. And that word for, for philosophy is the idea of a worldview. We need to interpret the world around us according to the Bible, not according to uh, other secular categories of identification. Uh, and and your, your desires and, and what you do is not who, what defines you. Uh, Sam Albury, a, an English uh, clergyman who, who has struggled with same-sex attraction, says this. He says, the, the kind of sexual attraction I experience uh, are, is, not what funda- is not fundamental to my identity. He says, they are a part of what I feel, but they are not fundamentally who I am. I am far more than my sexuality. Desire, desires for things God has forbidden are a reflection of how sin has distorted me, not how God has made me. Uh, and the the reality of what what Paul is, is seeing here as he talks about identity uh, is that we need to we need to begin to think of ourselves biblically. We need to begin to to identify ourselves not by categories that are presented to us by the world, but by categories that are found in Scripture. Uh, and and as Paul addresses the the Colossians. In these, in these two verses uh, this morning, what he's going to be saying is that, uh, that we need to find our identity in Christ. Uh, and th- that, is, that is where we are to look uh, to find out who we are. That is where we are to look to find out uh, why we exist and what we are to pursue in this life. Uh, and, and the three truths that he's going to lay out uh, of our past, present, and future realities of our union with Christ, in essence, all point to to who we are in Christ. And we're going to see these, these three compelling reasons why we should set our hearts and minds upon Christ and embrace our identity in him and reject every other category of identity that the world presents to us. So let's, let's begin to look at this. Uh, as we look at verses 3 and 4, as we look, begin to look and see what, what Paul is, is, is saying here, uh, he, he, again, he's explaining why they should set their minds on things that are above. Why should they should think with a heavenly mindset also uh, on things that are on earth? He says, for you have died. Uh, you have died. And this is, this is Paul saying something that he's said previously. That This is, this is a, uh, an action in the past that, that God has done. At the moment of our faith in Christ, it's, it's like we were, we were united with him and we died with him. 
Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, something that Paul is beating a dead horse here. Right? He seems to repeat himself over and over and over again. Uh, if you look at Colossians 2, verses uh, 11 uh, through 13, it says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. See, this union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection is what Paul continues to talk about. He mentions the same thing in in Colossians 2.20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And then in chapter 3, verse 1, of if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And then again in verse 3, you have died. He, is, he continues to, to repeat this. And uh, as, as you think back upon your, your days as a, as a kid, you can probably, uh, probably in, in particular, in hearing in your parents' voice inside of your head, you hear those phrases that they repeated often, right? Uh, I've, and I've suddenly, I've, now that I'm a parent, I, begin, I find myself thinking them. Uh, and I'm like, well, how, is, how did my mom get inside my head? Uh, things such as uh, look with your eyes and not with your mouth. Because I just used to call out, hey, mom, where's this? And, and it would be right in front of me. Uh, so she would say, yeah, look with your eyes, not with your mouth. Or my dad teaching me, uh, you know, lefty-loosey, righty-tighty. Uh, or uh, do it right the first time and you don't have to do it a second time. I'm like, okay, thanks, dad, uh, for pounding that into my brain. And, and repetition is, is the key to learning. And the reason Paul uh, keeps bringing this up with the Colossians is because it's important. How we think about ourselves and how we think about our identity is of the utmost importance because it lays the foundation of our entire lives. And Paul is trying to, to get us to remember these truths. Christ's death is your death. That, that is what Paul wants us to understand. So what does this mean? It means that, that as we now think of ourselves, we are dead to the world, we are dead to its temptations, and we are dead to the sins that used to enslave us. Uh, as we talked about that passage, uh, if you are dead to something, you are set free to something. If I, if I were to die today, would I still be subject to the laws of the United States? No, they have, they have no power over me. They have no effect over me because I'm, I'm dead. They no longer have any authority over a dead person. And that's how we are to think of ourselves towards sin. Sin no longer has power over me because I've, I've died to it. The world with its, its systems, its teachings, it no longer should have an influence over me because I've died to that. And now I, now I am alive to Christ. So I need to know that, and then I need to believe in faith that, I, that my death, or Christ's death, applies to me. That, that those sins and those things that I used to be enslaved to no longer have power over me. And if I have died to sin, then those affections uh, that, that I still occasionally have in my, in my sinful state, uh, that sometimes I still desire sin. What do I do with it? I need to remind myself in those moments that, hey, I've, I've died to that. And, and then I need to pray, Lord, help me to, to no longer have that, that desire and that appeal for those things. And, and instead, let me direct my affections and my heart towards my Savior, who, who died to set me free from those things. That my freedom came at a cost. His death. And instead of me having to die, 
He died for me, and my death, or his death is counted on my account. And if I am dead to sin, then I am free to pursue Christ as I never was before. And that's, that's what Paul continues to say, and that's why he continues to beat that dead horse and to bring that up of you have died with Christ, you have been resurrected with Christ. That's what he continues to say. That, that's reason number one for why we are to, to find our identity in Christ is that we died with him. And now reason number two, he says, uh, you can say his life is your life. Uh, in the present, if, if you look at the, the next part of verse three, it says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And in that first statement of verse four, when Christ who is your life? So think about that. There's no more powerful statement, in, I think, in the entire Bible of our identity when it says, Christ, who is your life? This is how we are to, to think of ourselves. And, and what, what Paul is saying there is if you have believed in Christ, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Uh, and meaning that that your your spiritual life is is tucked away securely and and secretly in heaven uh, with with Jesus where Jesus is in in heaven and uh, as one pastor says it what this means is that your inside lives in heaven and your outside lives here uh, but that inside life your your spiritual life is secure in the hands of God uh, and this is this this is this is the very essence of you, right? When, when it says that you are hidden with Christ in God and Christ who is your life, this is your identity, tucked away securely in, in God. And uh, there's a little, little nugget here in, in the Greek. It's not as clear in, in the English, but it's pointing to an action that took place in the past and it has results all the way up to the present. Uh, so it's it's something that uh, has has already taken place, but it still matters. Uh, it still has an ongoing effect today. Uh, and what Paul is saying is, it's like it's like when you believe in Jesus uh, after being tossed around by the world for years and years, being enslaved to sin. When you put your faith and trust in Christ for your salvation instead of depending upon yourself, it's like you you enter into God's hand. Jesus takes you into His hand. And he hides you securely there. And no matter what, he will not let us go. And, and, and that's actually the exact illustration that Jesus himself uses in John 10, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This, this is exactly what Paul is talking about, saying our life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, that, that, that God the Father and God the Son have us secure tightly, uh, and that is where our identity is based. And if it's in God's hands, can, can we alter that? Can it be attacked? Can it be changed? No, it rests securely in who we are, God, who God has created us to be. And, and we must understand that our identity is to be found in Christ and that our identity is secure in Christ. Again, there's no more clear statement of identity in the Bible than Christ, who is your life. Uh, and, and we must be absolutely convinced of this. 
All right, sometimes there's a, there's a long distance between what we know intellectually to what we, what we believe in our hearts. And we can know something without genuinely believing it. And we have to make that, that leap of, hey, I know this is what the Bible teaches, and I must be absolutely convinced of that, that my identity is found and is secure in Jesus Christ. And, w- and when I'm convinced of this, my, my thinking naturally changes. Uh, and I begin to remind myself on a daily basis that, that my identity is not based upon uh, the opinions of man. My identity is not based upon my feelings, which change each and every day. My, my identity is not based upon uh, what sins have, I have committed habitually. It's not deba- based upon what sins have been committed against me. My identity is not found in any of those things, but it's found in Jesus. It's found in who he is, who he has created me to be, and who he has redeemed me to be. Uh, That is what I am to identify myself with above everything else. And then no matter what what other external circumstances, no matter what other feelings crop up within my mind, I rest securely in my identity in Christ. That is what Paul is saying here when he says, your life is hidden with Christ Christ. In God, and, and what a what a blessing and hope that is uh, to be secure in God's hands. And that's that's in essence what he's saying with reason number two. His death is your death, and his life is your life. And then thirdly, reason number three is found in in verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And what that's saying is that, that his appearing is your glorification. When, when Christ appears, uh, his appearing has, has an impact upon our lives and upon what will take place with us. Uh, and I was, I was tempted to say, as a preacher, we like things to, to be smooth and consistent. I was tempted to write, his glory is your glory, but I felt that might be a little bit theologically ambiguous because we have a different glory from, from Jesus. But... Uh, but, but this verse is important, and, and it doesn't establish anything regarding a timeline of Christ's return uh, and talking about the rapture. I know people can, can get caught up in that. But Paul's not saying when the rapture or when that's going to take place. What he's saying is there, a cor- there is a correlation. There is a connection uh, with Christ's appearing uh, and us appearing with him in glory. Uh, there's a, a connection and a correlation. When one thing happens, another thing will happen as well. And, and when Christ is revealed in all of his glory, uh, all of the saints, all of those who have believed will also appear with him, that, that we will be revealed when he is revealed. Uh, and, and we love big reveals, don't we? All right, what, uh, what new Apple product was just recently re- revealed or unveiled? Uh, yep, the, the iPhones. See, all, of the, all of the students and, and teens are like, yeah, I know that, right? And, and for, those, for those who were, were really excited about it, uh, they were excited by the reveal, and then they, they were really excited when it actually when it came, right? When, when you could actually go and purchase it, and if you could afford the, the $1,000 to go and buy a new iPhone 10 that could do maybe three, phone, three things that the other iPhones can't do. Uh, when, when you're willing to pay that much money, you are convinced that, that whatever this, this unveiling, this big reveal, that it, that it will have an impact upon your life. That's why people go and bought it for $1,000. They said, hey, this, this will make my life better. This, this, uh, I want the benefits that will come when, when this product is released. Uh, and people get really excited for that. People wait overnight uh, in the cold 
uh, on the sidewalk, like camping in tents. They get excited and they look forward to the revealing of this, this little box, right? And, and how much more should we be excited? How much more should we be uh, eagerly anticipating the appearing, the unveiling, the revealing of Christ our Savior? And there's, there's, there's a truth to when, if, if we are fully revealed uh, and made known, when Christ is fully revealed and made known, there's a reality that our, our identity isn't truly made known until that time, right? That's when we will, we will truly be revealed as those who are found in Christ, because that's when it's made known. Uh, we're going to be revealed in the same way that Christ is revealed. His glory will be greater than ours because we are not the Son of God who sits at the right hand of God. But we will have a glory, and our glorification comes when Christ appears. And, and we need to, to understand this, that, that this knowledge that Christ's appearing is linked with our glorification. It should excite us and encourage us. It should encourage us to, to keep our minds set upon heavenly things. It should keep us to, uh, to get our minds focused not upon the here and now, the temporary, the things that are going to be, be done away with that you can't take with you uh, after this life. We, we should be focused upon the heavenly because that's, that's where our future lies. Uh, many, many people have recently moved to uh, this area from another part of the country. This is a, a growing area. And, and once, you, once you knew where you were headed, was it difficult to kind of keep your eyes focused upon where you were? Yeah, kind of whatever was around you, kind of, you kind of lost interest in all of that because you knew you were going somewhere else. Like, hey, uh, the, the allures of you know, whatever the Los Angeles has to offer, which is not much, traffic, smog, uh, all, all of that, I, I was anxious to, to leave behind because I was so excited to come up here to Idaho. There's mountains that I can see uh, in Idaho, not just uh, when the smog clears. Uh, I, I, can, I can see the mountains here. I can, I can enjoy the goodness of God's creation, uh, and I can plant a church here. Uh, but ultimately, when, when we're focused upon where we're going, again, the, the where we are loses its appeal. And, and that we need to begin to, to turn our affections to where we're going, not just resting upon the here and now. And we do that by beginning to think uh, in our minds and to set our affections in our hearts uh, upon those things that are above. And then to begin to ask some tough questions about our lives, of, of whatever we're doing, Hey, will this really matter when Christ returns? When he returns, will I be found faithful? How will he evaluate me when he does return? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Those are, those are big questions, and as we begin to evaluate our, our own actions and, and attitudes along those lines, it's, it's amazing how many things we can do away with that we are currently pursuing. And, and what we have, have seen today are the, are the past, present, and future realities of our, our union with Christ. And these truths are intended to, to motivate us to, to set our affections upon him, to value him. Uh, may we be that individual who found that, that pearl out in the field and went and sold everything because we were so convinced that that pearl, that, that, that person, Jesus Christ, was of infinitely more value than anything else. Oh. Uh, Pastor F.F. F. Bruce said that what God has done for his people in Christ is the grand argument and incentive for Christian living. Uh, and that's what Paul is, in essence, laying out here. Is that this, is, 
This is who you are, and you need to think accordingly. That's what he's saying. If you are this, you are not these other categories. You are, this is who you are in Jesus. Uh, and, and I wrote out things. If you, if you look at that chart that you have there on your paper, it's amazing to, to set these things side by side and look and see what, what the world teaches about human identity and what the world says. See, the world says, and what they are preaching, and that's what we also have to use. The world is preaching. They are proclaiming all the time. And we saw that in the Associated Press. The world is preaching a theology to us. They are presenting to us a worldview about who we are. And one of the things that they say is that your purpose and identity are found in your own thoughts and feelings. And this is most obviously seen in whatever you feel like, whatever you choose, you, you can choose to be that. You can choose uh, whatever gender you want to be, or you can choose to have no gender. Yeah, that's, that is what the world is proclaiming at this time. But contrast that to what the Bible says, that our purpose and identity are found in who God created us to be, that we are made in his image as male and female. And that's seen in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. And see, those are, those are diametrically opposed. It can't be, can't be both and. And that's where uh, in the 1860s, uh, European society got rid of the, the, the biblical understanding of, of who we are, of who God created us to be. Because up until that time, people understood themselves, hey, God created me to be male, then, then that's who I am. I find my identity, my purpose. Uh, I need to be looking for, for a wife then if I'm a male. Uh, our, my purpose was found in who God created me to be, and that was my identity. I wasn't able to, to choose something other than that. Uh, and our foundation is, is found in who God created us to be. Secondly, the, the world teaches that your purpose and identity are found in the sum total of your, of your sexual desires, that that is what identifies you. That, that is what, uh, what is most important, and that's why you exist. That, that's, that's what the world proclaims. But look, look at what the Bible says, that our purpose and identity are found in why God created us to be. And we saw that at the end, you know, earlier this year as we were looking at Colossians 1. Uh, look with me at verses 15 and 16. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. See, the world encourages us to think about ourselves of, hey, you get to live for your own glory. It's all about you. In essence, you are God, and you need to orchestrate your life to make yourself happy. Uh, but that, that can be miserable, right? Even, even though that the realities are saying, hey, live for yourself, uh, it's difficult for us to get outside of ourselves. Uh, and living for our own desires, uh, this guy named Solomon in the Old Testament did that. Uh, he wrote a whole book about it, Ecclesiastes. And he was the richest man in the world and the wisest man in the world. And he, he wrote about everything that he pursued to try and make him happy. And he, he still found no satisfaction in any of that. Uh, I would encourage you to go look at that. Uh, but but the, the reality is God created us not for ourselves, but for his glory. 
And then third, your purpose and identity, this is what the world says, your purpose and identity are found in the sum total of your sinful habits. They, they, they use uh, labels based upon your habitual sins or, or addictions. Okay? This, is, this is who I am. I, I'm an alcoholic or I'm addicted to gambling. or you know, This is who I am at my very being. Uh, but, but the reality is, rather than focusing upon uh, our, the sinful habits that used to characterize us, in Scripture we are called to find our purpose and identity in who Christ saved us to be. That we are forgiven of all of our sins and cleansed of all of our guilt. And, and if you really think about how, how enslaving the world's teaching is on this, Right? Because what do we naturally do uh, in, in the stillness of our minds at night? What, do we, what comes to mind? Our sins. Right? And, and the shame associated with those sins. And what the world says is, that's who you are. That, that is what defines you. But, but Scripture says something else. Look at, look at again in Colossians 1, at verses 21 and 22. And notice how Paul speaks in the past tense, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Meaning, that w- that's in the past. But now, in the present, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh, by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, that's completely different. The world says you need to focus upon all the sins that you've committed, and that's who you are. The Bible says, no, don't focus upon those. Think about the cleansing power of Jesus' blood that has, that has washed away your sin, that has forgiven you of all of your guilt. And, and the guilt that you uh, had accumulated before God because of your sin can all be forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Those are completely different, diametrically opposed ways of thinking about yourself. And then 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to, number one, forgive us our sins, and then number two, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Forgiveness and cleansing, that is who Christ saved us to be, and that's what we are to remind ourselves of and to find our identity in. And then lastly, and this list could have been a lot longer, uh, but I've limited it to four. Uh, The world says your identity is found in the sum total of the sins committed against you. That they want to say that whatever you have endured, you are a victim of, you know, and then fill in the gap of of abuse of somebody else. The the world wants you to identify with what you have experienced and what others have, how they have sinned against you, and that's who you are. But what is it that's so enslaving about that is it's completely outside of your control. You are now defined by something that, that somebody else did to you? Is that how you want to think of yourself? And contrast that with, with what God's Word says, that our purpose and identity are found in who the Holy Spirit is conforming us to be. We are being renewed into the image of our older brother and Savior, Jesus. Look at Colossians 3 verses 9 and 10, some verses that we'll look at just in a couple weeks. But Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, in the world's teaching, in the world's way of thinking, what do they want you to focus on? The old self. 
who you used to be with, with all of your sinful habits, with all of the sins that were committed against you, to identify yourself in that way of who, what used to happen to you and what you used to do. But now we are to find our identity in who the Holy Spirit is making us into. And who is he, who is he making us into? Who is he making us to be like? It's, it's Jesus. It's, it's Jesus Christ. That's what we need to think about. That's what's freeing of, hey, that, those old things don't define me. They no longer enslave me. They no longer have power over me. But now I am who I am because I am in Jesus Christ. I've participated in his, in his death. He is now my life. And when he appears, I will appear with him in glory, past, present, and future. That, that, that is the, the, the glorious teaching on human identity that the Bible upholds for us. And it is diametrically opposed to what the world is constantly saying. And there's hope in, in the Bible's teaching on our identity. I don't see any hope in, in the categories that the world lays out. I see a lot of hopelessness because my feelings will change. And, and, and if, if sex is what is most important in life, what happens to people that, that are unable to enjoy that? Man, if that's what's most important, being single must be miserable, right? Or just encourages you to, to go and be promiscuous. Uh, if you're defined by your own sin, your your sinful habits, what hope is there for you to get out of those sinful habits? If hey, this is the habit that I've developed, and now this is just who I am, there's there's no hope to to get out of that. And if and if you are the sum total of the sins committed against you, that's completely out of your hands. Why would you identify yourself in that way? We need to remember these things and and take them to heart. I, I love. That those two biblical counselors that I quoted earlier, they've, they've said this, and it's so powerful, so succinct. They said, in God's world, we are who God says we are. In God's world, we are who God says we are. And what Paul is saying is this is who we are in Christ. And that we need to begin to think about ourselves accordingly. And... And as, as we see these things, doesn't it break your heart to see what the world believes? Doesn't it? To, to see the, the bondage that comes with buying into these categories and buying into this teaching. And so not only do we need to apply this truth to our own hearts, but we should have a burden to go and share the gospel with others, should we not? To go and rescue the captives, to those who have been enslaved by this, these ideas that, that are so subtle uh, and it comes in the language that we use, and we buy into it. But may we have a burden to go and share the gospel and to speak biblical truth to the world around us. May that burn upon our hearts. And as we apply these truths to ourselves, may we be quick to, to go and proclaim the hope that is found in Jesus, the, the forgiveness, uh, reconciliation, uh, and ultimately the eager anticipation that we have of Christ's return. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you thanking you, praising you, worshiping you because you have united us with you. Lord, you are in us, we are in you. And Lord, this is a, this is a simple truth to say, but it's a difficult one to understand. And it's a difficult truth to apply to our lives. So I pray that you would 
that you would transform our thinking, that you would help us to set our minds and affections upon who you are and who we are now in you. Lord, we so thank you for the hope that we have because we participated in your past death. We thank you for the security that we have now because our life is hidden with you in God. And we thank you and praise you for the hope and the expectation that that should characterize our life because we long and look forward to your return. And we are so thankful that your return, your revealing, means that we also will be revealed in glory. That your appearing is our glorification, and Lord, we are so excited for that. Lord, we long for you to return to establish your, your kingdom, to make, to make right every wrong that has been committed against us, to bring justice and peace to the world. And Lord, we long for that, but we also know that when you return, that judgment comes. That a returning king will make things right in his realm So, Lord, may that also burden our hearts, and may we be quick to speak the gospel. May we be quick to share the gospel and proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ by your grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Lord, we we praise you, we worship you, and we ask all of these things of our Heavenly Father in your name.